Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so grateful for Dr. Peter Kapsner, who filled in for me yesterday. It was awfully nice of him. I was celebrating. Uh, I was part of a surprise birthday party for a dear friend of mine named Jay, and it was a great time. He turned 60. I'm surprised I have friends that are that young, but uh, it was really nice to be part of that event and a great blessing for sure. Um, I've got my Bible open, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I hope to encourage you today. I hope you've had a good uh, day so far. I'm going to get my day started with Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor at the Daily Signal. You can always head over to dailysignal.com to learn more about uh, that amazing uh, uh, website. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Thank you so much. Um, So I would love to get your perspective, not to jump right into what's going on in Washington, D.C., but this is quite interesting, the infrastructure bill. I would love to get your take on what it means, and I'd love to learn more about the process Now, it passed the House, but it's got to get through the Senate. Well, it already passed the Senate, so this one goes right to the president's desk. Now, there are some wondering why the president has not signed the bill yet. It could be because Congress is on recess this week, so all of the members are back home in their districts. And you know, Bill, they like to have all the fanfare and (laughs) the big big celebratory event at the White House. So I suspect that in the days to come, uh, he will sign it. He's actually, the president will be going to Baltimore um, to talk about infrastructure this week, uh, to the ports there. It, it, you know, for for Joe Biden, uh, this has been something that he's talked about since January when he became president. Of course, the Democrats linked this infrastructure bill to a much larger uh, package that uh, included a whole host of other things that I'm not even sure what form it's taking today because it keeps changing so frequently. But the one thing that uh, that was consistent about the infrastructure bill is that it did have bipartisan support. There were um, a total of 31 Republicans in the end, uh, both in the House and the Senate, who ended up voting for it. I think that's because traditionally infrastructure is one of the few remaining topics in Washington that that can attract some bipartisan support. But of course, it had had a fair number of people who were critical of it as well. Most House Republicans voted against it. There at the end of the day, uh, end of the night um, on Friday, only 13 House Republicans ended up voting for it. And you had six Democrats who voted against it, including the squad famously led by uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And so they were concerned about uh, the fact that they say it didn't go far enough. It spent $1.2 trillion, but uh, that wasn't enough uh, for some of the Democrats who who cast a vote against it. So the president gets a win here. Uh, He is uh, going to do everything he can, I think, to to celebrate this and, and try to change the narrative, which has been uh, quite uh, quite troubling for, for him and his party in recent weeks with the uh, rise in inflation, with the supply chain crisis, with the losses uh, in, um, in Virginia. 
and uh, and some other um, just not not so great news, uh, particularly about the Democrats uh, being unable to get um, this uh, other spending bill across the finish line because of disputes between uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and some of the other Democrats in the Senate. So uh, still a lot of work to do, Bill, but uh, that's kind of the state of play and where we find ourselves on this day. Boy, Rob, you know, you take one day off and you realize you missed so much. I didn't know that this bill has already gone uh, through the Senate. When did that happen? It did. It did. Jeez, uh, I don't have the exact date for okay. you, but it, it happened uh, earlier in this. It happened in the summer. And what um, what what happened there was there was a group of Republicans and Democrats who who basically got together uh, outside of the leadership circles and they uh, were able to hash out a deal that um, that would would attract would get them over the 60 vote threshold, which, of course, we know is an impediment uh, for 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 legislation in the U.S. Senate. Uh, but at the end of the day, even the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, ended up voting for the bipartisan infrastructure framework. So it is uh, it is a bill that uh, for, and for that reason, I should I should note for 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 your listeners to be aware that that has uh, drawn the scorn of our former president, Donald Trump, who was quite critical of the Republicans who ended up supporting this legislation and other uh, Republicans and conservatives who were worried about not only the price tag, but the fact that it was linked so closely with this larger spending bill that Biden is now going to focus his attention on getting finished. And they felt that uh, because Biden and Pelosi and Schumer had all linked those two pieces of legislation, Republicans should have withheld their vote and, uh, and, and maybe um, secured some, some promises. But, uh, you know, Bill, that other larger bill, I'm not sure that we'll ever uh, get to the president's desk because we're still waiting for the Congressional Budget Office to give the final score, uh, basically how much it's going to cost. There are a lot of concerns about uh, the fact that maybe the price tag that's been advertised, the $1.75 trillion, is much lower than what is really going to be uh, spent uh, when all the numbers are added up. Uh, that's what Senator Joe Manchin uh, has raised a concern about. Uh, he's, of course, the Democrat from West Virginia. So, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of activity on Capitol Hill, and uh, and you know, as I said, uh, it's one of those issues where Republicans and Democrats uh, were able to come together. Uh, <laughs> one of the few issues where it seems that they uh, were able to get something across the finish line, and there's not too many of those, as uh, you and your listeners know. Rob, I, I appreciate you being patient with some of my additional questions, but I. I... I was always under the impression that the Republicans and Democrats said, yes, we want to pass an infrastructure bill. Was this bill just too expensive because of the other things that were attached to it? I thought this was kind of a slam dunk and that this is something everyone wanted. Well, and, and again, when it passed the Senate with, uh, with uh, you know, a bipartisan majority and went to the House, it could have passed the House of Representatives almost immediately. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Speaker Pelosi who held the bill up because she gotcha. was hearing complaints from the progressives or the, the more uh, uh, you know, far left of her caucus. And again, as I, as I mentioned, they, they were some of the, the same people who voted against the bill. The six Democrats who voted against the bill came from uh, that, that, that progressive uh, squad. And they were demanding that if they, they were going to withhold their votes, now there was more than six. Remember, Pelosi, so it's interesting, she only really has a little bit of a buffer here, only about three different vote, three votes, uh, or, or she's not able to pass. Uh, she can only lose about three people, three mm -hmm. Democrats, that is. Uh, otherwise, she can't pass the legislation. So if these Democrats, these six Democrats voted no, and the 13 Republicans voted no, the infrastructure bill would have failed. 
uh, because the Democrats were not united on this. And they were not united on it because they said this was not an adequate amount of spending. They wanted more money to be uh, appropriated by the Congress. And that's why they said that they secured promises from the, the more moderate uh, or conservative Democrats to vote for the much larger piece when they return from recess. But now those, those, those Democrats, um, they, they may have signed those, those slips saying that they would, they would adhere to that. At the same time, they still don't have the score from the Congressional Budget Office. So nobody really knows what the price tag is on it. So it's very complicated. But basically, to answer your question as briefly as I can, the reason it didn't pass earlier this year was because the Democratic Party uh, was fighting over the price tag. And it wasn't the Republicans were holding it up. It was Mm. the Democrats who couldn't get their act together. Yeah. Well, either way, there's always a hot mess going on in Washington. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is uh, very true, and and let's not forget that this is just one one of the significant uh, pieces of legislation. On December third, which will be here before we know it, uh, that is when the government spending bill expires. Oh, in addition to that, so there could be a government shutdown over that, and there are a lot of Republicans and 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 a few Democrats as well who are really upset about this new Occupational Cell Safety and Health Administration OSHA a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And they want to withhold funding from this agency that would prevent them from enforcing the law. And so they are vowing to basically head to a government shutdown over this mandate. Now, of course, the mandate has already been, um, been, the Fifth Circuit has already put a stay on the mandate. So it's already temporarily been halted. uh, And there are my goodness, um, you know, well over, I think, two dozen lawsuits that have been filed just since uh, the lawsuit was announced on Thursday, or just since the, the mandate was announced on Thursday. So there will be a big fight on that coming up in the next few weeks. And they still have to address the debt ceiling and the fact that uh, there was only a temporary increase approved. So they have to, to figure that one out as well before the end of the year. So not a lot of time to do Christmas shopping in Washington with all that the uh, lawmakers have left on their plate. Mm-hmm. The vaccine mandates really got to be a hot topic very quickly. Oh, absolutely. And this is the, remember, this is the mandate that we're talking about that applies to employers who have over 100 workers. So this is the private, this is the federal government telling private employers that they, that their employees need to obtain a vaccine, or if they don't, they need to uh, submit weekly tests. And it's not just, it's not just going to CVS and picking up a, a, an at-home test. I mean, they have to have a medical provider uh, produce the test results uh, mm. for the employers. So it's quite burdensome and onerous. And you've had a lot of businesses speak out, not only because it's a violation of our, 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 our freedom, uh, it's also an invasion of our privacy, frankly, to be to ha- having our employers collect private medical information and us turning this over in a database that uh, the government can now have access to. So, and the, the, the exemptions are, 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 in my opinion, um, not, not strong. Um, so if you have a religious exemption or a medical exemption, I, I don't think they go far enough. Uh, they require religious institutions to do this. The Alliance Defending Freedom Organization is representing a lot of the seminaries and other uh, religious organizations that are fighting this. We ourselves uh, at the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal have over 100 employees uh, so we are subject to, to be comply with this as well, Bill. So it's uh, quite significant, and uh, it, is, um, it is the most uh, egregious uh, mandate that I've seen. But we, ha- we can't forget about all of the colleges and universities and schools that are also subjecting uh, our, our teens and, and even younger kids uh, to, to mandates as well. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you for that perspective, Rob. I know there are a lot of people that have a lot of very strong emotions about this, and I'm not surprised. It's a uh, very personal. And when it comes to your body and medicine, uh, I can understand why. Let me take a short break. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. If you're interested, head over to dailysignal.com. We'll be right back. you are joining me today. If you just jumped in your car, I've got uh, Mr. Rob Bowie as my guest on the phone. He is the executive editor at the Daily Signal. He's my Washington, D.C. correspondent. When I want to find out information of what's happening in the nation's capital, I call Rob, and he gives me a, a very balanced perspective, in my opinion. Others may not agree with that, but that's my opinion. All right, let's see, Rob. Uh, I want to talk about the Virginia race. There's lots of craziness that came out of there. And, you know, what does it say about the country and what's going to happen in upcoming races, maybe? Well, well, Bill, I, I'll get to that in just a second, but uh, I'm your I'm your welcome there. Uh, let me just say that I think that it's long overdue for for journalists to be open and, and transparent about their views, <laughs> and I've always tried to do that myself. So, I mean, I don't hide the fact that I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, and uh, and I think that the the problem that we have in in our in our media today is that many people pretend to be fair and balanced when in fact uh, they're, they're really advancing an agenda that might be uh, contrary to that. But let me, well, how <laughs> let me you, get to... How do you feel yeah, about ahead. your take on what you report? I know you're conservative and, and I, I think that you still you know, offer a, a balance. Do you not feel that way? Well, we, one of the reasons we created the Daily Signal was because we felt that there was an, we needed an alternative to what existed in the marketplace totally. at the time in 2014, and I think still is true today. Uh, so we 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 felt that there were stories that were going uncovered, many of which we cover on this show every week, and and secondly, we we felt that uh, there it was important for us to yes, although we are conservative, and that obviously impacts the stories that we choose to report on that we were going to do so in a factual and truthful and accurate way. And, uh, and that meant, you know, calling all sides, not just, um, not just quoting Republicans or conservatives, right. but actually, you know, making sure that, that all perspectives were considered. And, uh, and we would clearly label our content as either news or commentary. So if you, if you go to the Daily Signal and you click on a news story, you can get a straightforward approach to what's going on. And, uh, and by the way, you can always send us a letter at letters at dailysignal.com if you disagree. If you go to a commentary, you're going to get most likely a conservative perspective on whatever the topic of the day might be. And so I think that by doing that, by being clear in our, our labels, uh, that's something that I, I notice uh, you know, some of our, our more esteemed uh, media organizations have moved away from. And you increasingly see opinion creeping into news stories. And we really wanted to make that distinction at the Daily Signal so that our, our, our readers and our audience uh, would know what they're getting when they uh, are reading a story. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you for that okay. comment. So let's, now, go, yeah, let's talk about the Virginia. the Virginia race. Yeah. Yes. 
So the Virginia race, very interesting. Obviously, New Jersey as, as well. Um, they went in different directions. Uh, New Jersey was a lot closer, but the Republican made it interesting there. Uh, in Virginia, a bit of an upset and surprise. A lot of people thought Terry McAuliffe, even though the race was close, he was going to be able to pull it off at the end. Uh, Mark Herring, who is the attorney general, uh, who's been twice elected already, was, was running for, for a third term. Uh, many people thought that uh, he would be able to, uh, to pull it off. And uh, the lieutenant governor's race, uh, you have a, uh, a remarkable person in Winsome Sears, who is J- a Jamaican-born former Marine, um, who uh, you know brings a completely different perspective um, to, to that office. And so Glenn Youngkin, though, he was the, the star of the day. He was uh, certainly somebody who captivated a lot of uh, new voters in Virginia. He really rallied not only Republicans and conservatives to turn out for him, but he was able to shift votes uh, from from counties that went not only strongly for for Joe Biden and Terry McAuliffe in, in his previous election, uh, but he was also able to I think win over some people who, you know, may have been turned off by Donald Trump and and what he stood for, uh, but saw in Glenn Youngkin somebody who would rightfully give parents a seat back in uh, in the class, you know, in determining what their kids are learning in the classroom, somebody who would have a more uh, common sense and reasonable approach to uh, the COVID policies, the lockdowns, and some of the mandates that we were just talking about. Uh, and he was also somebody who I think was rightfully concerned about some of the, the issues that you probably talk about at the dinner table, uh, fixing the DMV in Virginia. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> want to fix the DMV, right? Yeah. Uh, making sure that, that businesses are able to, to compete um, in a state that, you know, in, in some cases has has moved uh, to the left when it comes to, to taxes and spending. And so I think all of those issue, issues resonated. I don't know if there was a single one. I think education probably stood out uh, because it was so prominent in Loudoun County where a lot of these disputes over uh, the, the COVID uh, restrictions and uh, critical race theory and, and the transgender bathrooms, you know, all of those things were, were attracting a lot of uh, headlines. And, uh, and I think Glenn Youngkin was able to present to the voters a vision about what, uh, what he would do on day one, whereas Terry McAuliffe spent a lot of his campaign talking about Donald Trump. And frankly, I think, you know, some people were just uh, ready to move on from that. Mm-hmm. Rob, I always find it interesting because in Virginia, you cannot run consecutive terms as a governor. So Terry McAuliffe was the governor at one point. Then he had to take four years off and I was trying to get the office back. Uh, there doesn't seem to be consistency across the country with that because, you know, our governor can do back to back here in Minnesota. Well, and, and in some places there, there are probably not restrictions at all. I mean, you could you could keep going and going. So, uh, you know, that is that is definitely true about Virginia. It's it's for the governor's office, by the way. As I mentioned, the attorney general had uh, successfully run and, and, and won his reelection uh, four years ago. But it's, um, it's a unique characteristic about the governor's mansion. It also means that you have a lot of former governors because every four years you're, go- you're going to get a new one. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least in my time living in Virginia, I think Terry McAuliffe is the first that I can remember who has who served a stint and, uh, and, and tried to mount a comeback. Others have gone on to other offices. For instance, George Allen was a governor, uh, was successfully ran for U.S. Senate. Mark Warner, a governor, uh, he's currently serving in the Senate. Tim Kaine was governor. He's currently serving in the Senate. Of course, he served as uh, he was Hillary Clinton's running mate in 2016. So, you know, it is a, a stepping stone. And I don't know if you're going to ask me what Glenn Youngkin's future holds, but I mean, <laughs> certainly he's somebody who uh, was able to uh, appeal to a lot of voters and, again, cut across party lines to, to win in a state that went 10 points for Joe Biden just a year ago. 
So I think that, uh, you know, maybe he has uh, has a future in politics. He doesn't come from a political background. He was uh, president of the Carlisle Group, which is a, uh, you know, in the business world. So, I mean, he spent his life as an executive. But uh, but certainly he's somebody who connected with voters in a way that uh, that hopefully he can translate and get things done in, in the state house. They're you know going to be uh, going through this transition process before he um, steps officially into the governor's mansion. But I think there are high hopes across the board that things don't get bogged down in Richmond. And I should also note that um, the, the Senate is t- is tied fifty fifty, and you have a situation where in the house uh, the House of Delegates um, there are still two races undecided. But it looks like Republicans will capture both of those. And if that's the case, uh, they'll have control of all uh, all levers of government in Virginia. Mm-hmm. During that race, Rob, I kept hearing them refer to the Commonwealth of Virginia. What's the difference between a Commonwealth and a state? Or should I, I believe, Google that? Uh, well, I believe there are four uh, U.S. states that are actually called Commonwealth. Uh, I, 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 Virginia is one of them. I believe Kentucky, Pennsylvania. And now I'm forgetting the fourth. Yeah. Maybe one of your listeners can remind us. Uh, but uh, I think it's a, just, just a distinction in terms of how, how I, 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 you're, 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 you're giving me a, a history quiz that I don't know necessarily the answer to. <laughs> well, but I, I will I can tell Google you, it. yeah, proud Virginians will always correct you that it is the Commonwealth. Yeah, I keep hearing that. They keep, oh, I, I, I hear them say the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth. And I think, oh, okay, what's the difference? I should look it up. All right, Rob, we just have a couple minutes left. I'm curious to uh, hear your perspective on uh, what's going on at the uh, at the pump and some of the uh, ongoing inflation and continuing supply chain issues. Yes, well, that, that's certainly true. And by the way, Massachusetts is the fourth. Oh, there you um, go. So it's awesome. Massachusetts, Kentucky, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Uh, yes, it, inflation remains a problem. Now, we should talk about the jobs report. So a really strong jobs report on Friday for um, for the month of October. This was encouraging news because the last two jobs reports, which came out from the Labor Department, were not good at all. Uh, they um, they in fact revised uh, them upwards. So that was that was encouraging news. I'm glad that more and more Americans are finding work. However, there remains a large number of people who still are on the sidelines and, and just not um, heading back to their, their pre-pandemic uh, jobs. And I think that that's a, a concern. Um, and it's something that we need to figure out, Bill, because we, we know that work means so much in terms of supporting a family and, uh, and, and, and really just providing uh, you know, a, a purpose and, 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 and dignity uh, to one's life. So it's uh, it remains a, a stubborn hurdle, and I think that uh, again, my perspective here is passing a, a large spending bill in Washington and injecting a whole bunch more uh, cash into the economy from from the government is not necessarily the the way to uh, solve the inflation problem. In fact, it's probably the exact opposite thing that I would do. There are other steps that uh, that the administration should be taking, and probably taking a hands off approach and, and letting. Uh, Letting things, uh, letting the states take a more of aggressive lead, and and not trying to ju- juice everything from Washington, um, and then yeah, the supply chain you know remains a concern, and uh, whether it be Christmas presents, whether it be food in the grocery stores, it seems that uh, we're starting to get back to a point where it's not as much of a front page story anymore. But I know that I've heard just anecdotally people who continue to have uh, problems and. Uh, and for instance, one of the things uh, that, that I know firsthand from, from my role um, is uh, paper is in short supply. Oh, yeah. Uh, just get, printing things, uh, you know, it remains a challenge. Yeah. And that's something that's um, not, 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 wouldn't have put that on my list. Yeah, Bill. exactly. <laughs> Rob, thanks for, again, being on the show. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Bill. Have yep. a good one. Rob Bluey's been my guest. We're taking a little break. When we come back, did you know November is Cancer, Cancer Awareness Month? My guest is George Fraser. We'll be right back. 
Make sure you get ready for Christmas, and we've got a wonderful promotion going on here um, with Susie Larson's new book, Prepare Him Room. We've got a couple of uh, devotional bundles, which when I say bundle, I mean there's two copies that you would receive if you were part of this drawing and you were to win. It also includes a pretty swell set of, uh, quote, graphic cards, which you can use as an inspiration or pass them out to somebody who might need to be inspired and encouraged. Anyway, all you have to do to uh, get in on this is to go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. So November is Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, I wanted to have a guest on that can talk about a journey with cancer. Many of you have had journeys with cancer, and you know um, that it's it's a very challenging time and nerve-wracking, and I walked uh, through my guest's uh, journey with him. I've been doing it for a while. He is the co-host of Real Recovery, George Fraser. This is a man who stopped being a vegan the day he was told he couldn't eat meat. George, That's welcome. true. <laughs> you were all on board until you found out you couldn't have a hamburger. Then you said, no more. You know, it's. I'm always grateful to be on your show, especially when it's not the early morning uh, late show anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel swell. Good. Can I tell you that? I'm glad to be here. Well, I haven't asked you how you're feeling, but I do care. So how are you feeling, George? Swell. <laughs> I haven't heard that word since I had a coloring book. So, yeah, I know, think I heard I, that on I Leave it to Beaver it. a long time ago. Yeah, how are you doing? Are you good? Yeah, I'm swell. Yeah, I'm swell too. Okay. You've got a, an am- amazing story. Uh, I would love for you because this is Cancer Awareness Month. And you know you know what I, I heard about Cancer Awareness Month? It was when I was watching the Wild do their warm-ups and they had their Purple Cancer Awareness Month jerseys on. And then I found out that Rosie, who produces the show, her husband, Gary, was able to be at the Wild Game and did that big announcement up at the Big Horn, let's play hockey. It was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I've met him. Great guy and uh, great story. So let's hear your story. He got to do the Wild thing? Yes, he did. Okay, that, okay now I'm mad. Uh, <laughs> I, figured you, I figured that would make you mad. That's why I brought it up early. Oh, great. I, you know, I think it's very important for those of us who have cancer and have had it to see people make it. And, and he's one of those guys. And uh, that's really important. Well, give us uh, your journey to talk about what happened and how long ago and uh, what you've kind of gone through. Well, you were there, Bill. And uh, it was a November, uh, December 1st, 2016. I went in for a physical. And I had noticed when I would brush my teeth in the morning, there'd be a little dot, little line of red. I thought I had a sinus infection. I told my good friend, Dr. John Dreyer, hey, this is going on. He goes, well, let's do a chest x-ray. Now, <clears throat> the backstory here I had gotten a puppy. I referred to him as my son, Bob, earlier in the year. And I was going to go to, <laughs> he's sitting right here. So, And I was going to go to Arizona for January. As you know, I used to do a short-term missionary trip to the golfers in Scottsdale. Right. Uh, you know, I'm a giver. Yes, you are. And 
Bob was going to go to Dawkins uh, training school um, in Northfield for three months. And I go in and at my physical and he said, we're going to do a chest X-ray. Well, the results come back and we're looking at them. You know, they got the light and the X-ray, just like the TV shows. I go, it looks good to me. <clears throat> he said, I don't like it. And the, radi- uh, the radiologist said, put him on antibiotics for a month. We'll recheck it. He goes, we're not doing that. I go, well, I want to do that. He goes, I'm your doctor and I'm your friend. <clears throat> Went in, had a, a CT scan the next day, probably cancer. Well, the floor is starting to go away from me, okay? This is a free fall. Two weeks later, after being told that I didn't have it on a biopsy, they told me that I had stage four lung cancer. And I remember, because you were there, I think, Paul Wallen was there, uh, Dr. Mark Sofeld, and most importantly, Shirley Kern was there. Mm-hmm. And she's a nurse who works at North Memorial. Well, she grabbed my elbow and said, there's hope. Well, it was interesting, Bill, because I felt like I was falling, okay, in free fall. I had said to you earlier after one of our shows that summer, you know, I'm going to be 60 this year. My my stuff doesn't work at 60. It didn't work that well at 40. I don't want to be 60. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember and, well. And uh, all of a sudden, I realized, you know, I say some pretty ridiculous <laughs> things. <laughs> um, normally, I don't pick up on them, but yeah. other people tell me. And I always thought we were praying up before then. I thought, you know, I'm a Christian. Nothing really bad's going to happen to me. I don't know where I got that. I manufactured it. But anyway, Bill, it was awful. And and I came home, and I remember, you got to keep breathing. It's like time stood still. Now, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to heaven. And I always said, yeah, I, I'm ready to die. When you have it on the calendar, I, I never have a feeling like that. And I remember... I wrote down that day that I found it out because I figured I'd want to go back and look at that because my life changed forever right then. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of weeks later, January 15th, we did our show. We used to uh, do it up in the studio on Sunday night, Real Recovery. Uh, it's on Saturdays and Sundays. Give a plug there. Right? And oh, absolutely. Our guest was Dr. Mark Sofeld. And Mark came into the lobby downstairs. We were waiting for him, and he said, George, how you doing? I cried. I go, how do you think I'm doing? I'm dying. And he goes, well, maybe we can stop that. And in the first part of our show, it's just you and me. He got on his computer and was emailing a bunch of his colleagues. We did the show. And the next day I got on Katruda. But what had happened before that, Bill, the couple weeks before that, I remember New Year's Eve. I went to Mount Olivet, a New Year's Eve service. I always go there because our good friend, Kurt Calland, is a minister there. And Kurt gave the sermon. And afterwards, Bob Solheim from NC Little Hospice, uh, Ann and Brad Herman, and I were kind of planning my funeral downstairs after the service. Now, they did have cookies and cake, so, you know, it wasn't a total bad deal. And it was surreal. 
And I remember I left that night and I thought, I'm really lucky. I've had a great life. I have. I've had a great life. I got sober when I was 27, got uh, saved before that, and, and I'm the luckiest guy now. Uh, there wasn't any anger, there wasn't, but there was a sadness because, see, this is going to go on without you, okay? And you're alone. I had a lot of people around me, including you. You really ministered to me. You're such a good friend. And you're going through it yourself, you know? And Every day I started fading away a little more. It's like having a raft next to the shore, and every day you're farther out. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be a part of this. And that 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 was so sad to me. And I I would find I cried a lot. I remember I went to the health club to get my hair cut, and I had to change my appointment because of some doctor's appointments. And I'm walking in the door, and I saw my spin class teacher, Jerry, and I walked by her because I, I was just on edge. And she said, George Fraser, you get back here. You don't walk past me. We're too good of friends. How you doing? I lost it. Completely lost it. I told her uh, she started crying. So anyway, I got to go downstairs and get my hair cut. I got a, a different stylist. And she sees me. And she comes over. She, the place is full. George Fraser, you've got another stylist. How could you do this to me? I said, I'm sick. And I lost it. Everybody in the place was crying. And it was very emotional, Bill, you know, and I I was scared. I was never mad. I just never thought that dying would be, as it sounds really stupid, overwhelming. I didn't have a plan B, you know. Um, I'm going to die. You guys are going to go on. I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I get that. About a month later, I was sitting in my chair after I'd started the treatments. I did my, I always do the daily bread in the morning and the Tim Keller Proverbs book. And I'm drinking coffee and I coughed into a handkerchief and it was all blood. And I'm looking out on the lake and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to see Bob again, you know, um, I'm dying and I felt weak and I didn't hear a voice, but the thought came into my head. I've had you all along. I helped you get sober. I'm still here and it's going to be all right because I have you. Well, I've heard people talk about that bill and I've always thought, yeah, right. Instantly, I thought, you know what? I get to say goodbye to everybody. I'm going to go see my parents and my dogs. (laughs) It was like going on a long cruise, you know, Mm -hmm. going to heaven. I never really thought about it. I was okay. Mm. And the reason I share that is I went from total despair. Uh, Both my parents died of cancer. My dad esophageal, my mom breast. I didn't want to go through it because, see, you know, every time before you get sick, you know you're going to get better, but this time you aren't. And there's no plan B. You know, usually you have a problem. You go, well, I'll call Bill. I'll call Tommy. I know this guy. I'll try this. There's nothing. Right. You're going. And God showed up. And I got to say goodbye to everybody. And I thought, you know what? 
how did I miss this? Hmm. Why did I live my life thinking about so much about what was going on here when this isn't my home? Why did I do that? Because this is all you know, okay? But what happened was my faith went from a belief to a knowledge. I met God. God showed up. Wow. Now, we joke about this, Bill, and I'm going to tell your listeners that this is a joke. I find it very funny. But I remember after I, <laughs> I had lived a couple of years, you said to me, once again, you disappointed everyone. <laughs> I just love that. But, but we did not lose the ability to laugh. And I got on this drug, Katruda. Now, I had a nine centimeter tumor in my leg and a four and a half centimeter tumor in my lung. Always an overachiever, George. Yeah, thank you. How are you on time here? We're good. Another minute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I got a minute. Thanks for being on the show, George. You were great. (laughs) And, you know, you were there when I got diagnosed. And I had a picture taken on my cell phone of Mark Sofold and I at the doctor. And I look back on that and I thought, why would I do that? I'm not on Facebook. Hey, I'll post it. I'm dying. Guess what? Everybody send me money. You know? <laughs> and but, but what happened was I go in for my first PET scan three months later. And I walked in and the oncologist, Dr. Vermula, said, how you doing, George? Well, I had read the chart. They had me a palliative care, which I didn't know what it meant. That's to keep you comfortable till you die, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I said, you tell me, how am I doing? He goes, well, I heard you're a man of prayer. I go, I am, especially when I'm in trouble, which seems to be a lot of the time. He (laughs) goes, well, take a look at this. Here's the December, four centimeters in your lung, nine centimeters in your leg. This is yesterday. The tumor in your leg is gone. The tumor in your lung is half the size. This doesn't happen. Like, are you kidding? I thought maybe, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to be around for a while. And this drug is called an immunotherapy. And when you get cancer, your body can't recognize it like it does an infection. But with this, it does. And I'm an outlier. It worked great. And so I was able to get half my lung taken out, a steel rod put in my leg and uh five years is coming up but it took me three years bill to go i'm not dying Mm -hmm. george let me take a break when i come back i want to uh find out what are some of the things god has taught you through this experience because i know people have said uh you know this uh has been an amazing experience and uh, they say some pretty incredible things so i want to hear your side of that story george p fraser is my guest for the uh we're talking about Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, and, and George is a cancer survivor uh, coming up on five years after having been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So we'll take a short break and be right back.
back to today's show. George Fraser is my guest. He is the co-host of Real Recovery. We've been doing Real Recovery now for 10 years, and it started off as an experiment where our station manager, Neil Stavum, said at the time, well, why don't you try it for eight weeks and see how it goes over? And that was 10 years ago because the stories of transformation, people surviving and getting through drugs and alcohol has been uh, quite powerful, and I never get tired of hearing stories of transformation. No, I don't either, Bill. And, and it's a God, we can't see God, but we can see what he does. And that's why I like it. The other amazing thing is, um, Stavum still has a job. I know. You know, <laughs> he, I mean, he really, you know, he really took a risk there. What yeah. a great guy. He's in his 45th um, year, if you can believe it. Got a nice comment. Amazing. What a ministry. <laughs> Got a nice comment from Joyce. Uh, she said, I love George's story. A friend had battled lung cancer for 21 years. My husband lived four and a half years with pancreatic cancer before going to heaven. I said from the day he was diagnosed, God doesn't read statistics. I love that. Nice. Yeah. So, George, nice. talk about some of the things you learned, some of the things God showed you through your journey. Okay. Well, first of all, my mentor, Denny, when I got diagnosed, I, I called him and I said, I don't want to do any of this. I don't like getting blood drawn yet. I, I don't like the whole deal. <laughs> he goes, well, then don't. I go, well, I'm going to die then. He goes, well, there is that. And he, he has a way of speaking truth. And about three months later, I call him and I said, I'm really afraid. I got a PET scan and... I'm really afraid. He said, well, you're a man of faith, right? I go, well, yeah, you know I am. He goes, well, start acting like it. And I thought, okay, that's an inside <laughs> fastball. <laughs> you, you realize if I'm I'm dead, we're not playing golf next summer. Maybe he did think that. Too. Yeah, I don't I'm know. sure that's what he had on his mind. But I got off the phone and I thought, that's dead on. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's right, right on the money. And you've given Denny permission, your friend, to be that, uh, you know, blunt with you, which, uh, you know, can sound insensitive, I'm sure, to some listeners, but um, you gave right. him permission to be it's that blunt. It's tough love. It is tough love. And it, it, Denny's my, uh, if it wasn't for Denny, I'm not sober, okay? I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I got this book, maybe you gave it to me, by Tim Culler called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I did give you that. Yeah. Um, Hardcover, too. And thank you. Too. Yeah. Oh, actually, it was a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> was it paperback? I, yeah, I guess yeah. I went chintzy on you. Sorry. But it wasn't used, and I thought, oh, that, you know, for him, that's good. So anyway, I'm reading this book, and Philippians 4, 6 through 8, uh, um, we t it's about anxiety and um, presenting everything to God with thankfulness. Um, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. I think most people know the, the verse. I can't think of it right now, which would have been nice, but that's the gist of it. And we, we presented our request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, you know, will... Um, cover your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, Tim Keller says the reason we do it with thanksgiving, and this is just a game changer, God answers our prayers exactly the way we would if we had all the information he does. And Bill, I remember when I read that, I thought, oh, 
maybe something real tragic would happen if I lived. It, there's a lot of unknowns here. And I always think I know what's best for me. I don't. I, I didn't get into a recovery because I knew what is best for me. Well, Keller also wrote, not in that book, but he wouldn't want to live any longer than God willed for him to live because he wouldn't want to live in a world where he was outside of God's will Mm -hmm. and sovereignty. In fact, he said, if God wasn't sovereign, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And, And one of the things that happened to me spiritually is I really became grateful in that the whole thing isn't about here. It's about where you're going. And I'm going to heaven. And it's a process. I was listening to the Faith Radio Network one time, and Dr. David Jeremiah was talking. And he said that when we die, they send an angel down to get you. And then he showed the scripture where an angel was sent down to get somebody. And I thought, okay, the more I look into this, the more excited I'm getting. You don't have to worry about the things you worry about all the time here, paying your bills, what's going to happen to the stock market. Will this guy get sober? Well, it was very peaceful. And then I got better. But I realized more than anything else, how dependent I am on God in that my next breath comes at the mercy of an all-sovereign God. So does everybody else's. And that God is a good God who cares and loves for us. Now you feel, excuse me, all alone, but I believe it's in the book of Hebrews. It talks about Christ felt abandoned on the cross. He said to God, why have you forsaken me? But it also says the author, and the perfecter of our faith has gone through everything we go through. And I took great comfort in that because for the first time in my life, I knew what that meant. Because when you die, you go out alone. There's people all over. It's great. They care about you. But you become the cancer guy. It's so great. now. People... Don't ask me how I'm doing. Now, maybe I'm taking that wrong and they don't care. But but you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it became a real part of my identity. Like uh, there's an asterisk next to your name. And I, I look back on my life a lot and saw where God totally rescued me from where I was going, from what I was doing, from who I was. One of the real blessings has been the radio show. Mm-hmm. Ten years. Yeah. That's a total miracle, Bill. Yeah, it is. Um, it's funny. I mean, I'm sure my, when I see my mom in heaven, she's going to go, okay, the guy who drank and did all the drugs has a had a radio show <laughs> on helping people get off drugs and quit drinking. Mm-hmm. But that's our God. Yeah. So it, if you're listening tonight and and you have the diagnosis i heard john piper say when he had prostate cancer to embrace it and i didn't know what that meant but what i think it means for me is this cry uh feel the feelings Mm -hmm. be sad because we can't join jesus 
in his joy if we don't join him in his suffering. Mm -hmm. And I learned that, and and I learned that God is good. Yeah. And this is going to end well. Yeah. It's going to end well for you. Yeah. So, George, let me close with a nice text message I got from our friend Bob Solheim. We've already talked about him once. We both love Bob. Does he have a room for me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he probably does, uh, as a matter of fact. But he just said, uh, what a powerful message George has shared. I do remember the sadness that New Year's Eve downstairs at church. God clearly has had special plans for George, and George has not disappointed him. Wow. Not nice. See, people like you, George. I know that comes as a surprise. <laughs> but we no, do. actually, it does. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for having me on, yeah. and um, um, it, it, you were a big part of it. Obviously, you still are. So, thanks, Billy. You bet, George. Thanks for doing the show. Great to be with you. Okay. Yep. Bye, bye. George Fraser has been my guest. He is my co-host on Real Recovery. We have. Quite a nice long friendship. So if we are having fun at each other's expense, it's because we really love each other. And that's uh, all the time we have uh, to talk about that. But we're going to take a break, come back. Bible Bible's up next. Jeff Redorn's going to be in studio for the full hour. We're at 501. Can hardly believe it. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.